Welcome to Infinity Circuit Radio, Path of the Player. My name is Alex. And I'm Wes. All right. It's uh, good to be back with you guys. Man, so much has happened in so short a period of time. It's crazy. Um, oh, man, what a time to be alive right now. I know. I know. It's been an absolute avalanche of uh, Eldar models, and there's a lot of leaks going on at the moment, none of which we can comment on, but... There's been a ton of officially released stuff that we can talk about that is really, really, really exciting. So we've got some new models on the way. Yeah, and I, and I think the first one, I really have to retract a bit of what I said uh, in the last one. I really like that Autark model, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, I, okay, I, I still stand by I'm not overly like excited about the stance, but when you see the options and stuff, like, hell yeah. it's uh, That's pretty amazing. And apparently, into faces with the the other kit as well so that's uh that's always a win yeah it's pretty crazy um i really like i don't know if i'm gonna run it with the night spinner but like the night spinner looks really really awesome and um uh, like the monofilament um ammo container looks exactly like the shredder one which is really cool yeah. um that's like a nice little nod and it's cool because i have uh counts as warp spiders made from uh, Corsair bits, and I have like these converted shredders that I use to represent the Night Spinner. Um, looks really, Are really awesome. Fussy, yeah? That's fancy, that's <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so all of that stuff looked really cool. Like the bear head looked pretty sweet. Um, what, else, what other bits did they preview with that? The Chainsword, I think? Chainsword, uh, does it Melter? Oh, the Jump Generator. Jump Jim, yeah, I have not talked about that. Yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, that's the coolest thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was uh, that's quite a surprise actually, because like I think I've got three Autarchs made up with jump generators, so uh, yeah, I think I'll be getting a fourth. <laughs> yeah, I honestly think the the jump generator is probably the most exciting addition to uh, to the unit. I think that's like the thing that people really miss the most. I think it's a really awesome piece of war gear and i mean as long as as long as 40k is as long as like there have been eldar models i don't think you could get a hold of that bit i wasn't the 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 warp uh the warp generator sculpted into the that model like that metal autark no i, I think i think it's stuck on the back actually oh all right well I, yeah i think you did yeah well, it's pretty cool, man. I mean, to have that in plastic is amazing. And I'm excited to see what people are actually going to do with just those isolated bits. Because I've already been looking at, like, the Storm Guardian kit, that Autark kit, some of my Banshee bits, and, like, what can yeah. I do here, you know? Yeah, well, well that's the great thing about the uh, the whole Autark model is that you can really kit bash it from any of the cool-looking models, really. And I guess uh, from your, your mishap earlier in the week, you're going to have some spare Banshee parts going as well. So, uh, yeah, you'll be good with that. Yeah, uh, I, I'll get into that when we talk a little bit of hobby progress because <laughs> that uh, tragedy has continued to unfold in new and interesting ways. But, yeah, so, so the Autark looks really, really cool. I, I do I do still think that pose is kind of hurting, but the, the variety and, like, what it represents in terms of not just like some boring monopose space marine lieutenant style build is really nice yeah 
And you can have a male or female torso on it as well. That's another thing you can do, which is, I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. I know there's like a bunch of Eldar characters that I wish you could have male or female options. Like, I always wanted a female Shadow Seer. Um, I always thought that would have been really, really cool. So it's nice to have, um, you know, either one. And it's yeah, a it, it's a good way of just make like if you have two autarks making them look different on the table too. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, hopefully, we get uh, our hands on that one soon. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, the autark was not alone. Uh, Dark Reapers. Wow. Um, wasn't sure if Reapers were going to be the new kit or not, but apparently they are. Yeah, because the rumours were Warp Spiders and uh, Sweeping Hawks, I think. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, to get Dark Reapers, that was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, not not particularly crazy about these models. They they look they look good, but um, I don't know. Just I, I know there's not too too much you can do with Dark Reapers. They're the least dynamic of all of the aspects. Um, the sort of options and stuff like that are, are pretty cool, but I don't know. I, I feel like this is kind of like a lackluster sculpt. Uh, what did you think? Yes, yeah, I, <laughs> I feel like it's a repeat of the Autark again. So initially I was a little bit underwhelmed, and I, I, I hate to say that, but uh, actually they've really, really grown on me. So I saw some pictures going around on the internet of uh, people showing the sketchbook, uh, the Eldar sketchbook from Jez Goodwin, and showing the pictures in there of these guys. And actually, the sketches that he did back in 2005 are pretty much these models. And uh, I don't know, since looking at sketches, they've really grown on me since then. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong. I, I think it's cool. Like, I love I love those Jess Goodwin sketches, too. I just feel like, like a little bit more could have been done with them. Like, I think the example I gave when we were talking on the phone is, like, the sort of the horns or the side fins on the side of the head, just something cool that like I, I would have done personally is made them like less chunky and more sort of Drukari sort of like thin, maybe like blade like horns coming yeah. off the side of the head, almost like a little bit more akin to the avatar of Kane, like the daughters of Kane version of it. Yeah. Um, something, I don't know. This is just pure theory makes me feel like this is maybe an older sculpt that they just sat on for a while so yeah i i i wouldn't be surprised actually if they were all sculpted around so if you look on those sketches it says 2005 yeah and if you look on there the banshee ones are very similar as well so it wouldn't surprise me if they were all sculpted and been sat around for for a few years waiting to be released and now is the time yeah there's also something just like the nature of dark reapers they're not sort of they don't really lend themselves to i don't know super amazing visual display but you know just one thing that i think could have improved the look of them is their sort of top knots like when i was watching the video for it it shows like the artwork that fourth edition artwork that i think looks amazing and i think like what jess goodwin did with those fourth edition sculpts and which was present in the artwork it's like the hair was longer and it sort of like went all the way down to the shoulders. And I think that would have, that would have looked really, really cool. I think that would have added like a lot, just sort of like the floaty top knots. I don't know. I think that's like what I don't particularly like about them. Yeah. I, 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 I totally see your point. I think, I think that'd be quite tricky from a model perspective because then you're going to limit poses unless you can actually get it like properly sat on the shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're good. They're they're really good. 
You know, they look really good overall. I think the missile launchers, the um, the Reaper launchers look fantastic. The Reaper, uh, the what's it called? The Tempest launcher is really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, triple yeah, barrel. Nice. Oh, shirking. yeah. Yeah, the Shuriken Cannon um, was not... Um, obviously, doing playtesting the book that we knew that that was going to come, but uh, at the time, it was it was a surprise. I'm so, I was surprised that they went with that. It's a cool like retro throwback. Um, the one thing I wish they had done is like some. I think they have like a subtle nod to it. Is like web of skulls. The Exarch is like holding that skull, um, but it would have yeah. been really cool to have like I don't know, just something on their belt of the Exarch, like a web of skulls reference would have been really cool. Yeah, that would that would have been that would have been neat. <laughs> yeah, but hey, uh, p- more plastic aspect warriors comes with little uh, Reaper shrine, which is really cool. Um, and I mean, they're essential kit, and I'm excited to have them. I'm happy about that for sure. Yeah, definitely. Now, I think there's a five in the kit there as well. Yeah, yeah, which is good because they could have done three, sort of blade guard style, which would have been maddening. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited for that. They're, uh, uh, I'm just trying to clear my decks at the minute, just waiting for lots of uh, lots of models heading our way pretty soon. So I need to get those banshees done. Yeah, yeah, I've um, so I, I've been working on my banshees uh, for just trying to get my hobby progress all in order because I, I want to try some new things on the table. And sorry, I didn't mean to rub that in. Okay. Oh no, it's all right. So. Um, for those who have not experimented with those models yet, I know they're not the best on the tabletop right now. Just be careful with them. Um, they are like surprisingly fiddly. Like the swords break like really, really easy. I like tapped one, like, you know, a, just a little bit with uh, the side of my finger, you know, hit it sort of firmly and it snapped like right in half. Uh, I dropped one, it exploded. And then I got another box and I go to prime them. The Grey Seer primer is like bubbling up on them. I'm like, damn, this is. Oh no. Yeah. So one of them was okay because I just did two to sort of make a legal squad, and then the second you one. Roy Hag. Yeah, I know. What the hell did I do? <laughs> um. So. So yeah, so that was a little bit disappointing, but I've got four more in the box. I could still make a legal squad eventually. <laughs> so um, so I'm excited about that. So I've got I've I've finished uh, three of them. The fourth one is almost done. Um, I also worked on like my wraith lord. I am really excited about running a wraith host, and um, so I did some like uh, weapon options for my wraith lord. Because originally I just had him kitted out with just the ghost glaive, and um, I was like, you know what, this guy needs all of the options. So I created like a little weapon pod for his like a forearm mounted weapon pod using um, a Reaver jet bike splinter rifle, and I just okay. like clipped that off, put like pinned a flamer in there, could pop that off, put a shuriken catapult, and like I made like a weapon mount for the bright lance, a standard one on the shoulder mounted oh, one. Nice. So I'm really excited about that. It was nice to get a little bit of uh, hobby progress done this week. And, you know, I'm really excited about running a Wraith host. Oh, nice. Yeah, sadly, I've, I haven't done any actual hobby. I've been quite uh, busy with work this week, so I've been getting back into that. But I've been uh, agonizing over which craft world I want to run in uh, 
in ninth edition. So I've been going back and forth on whether I want to expand my Latoc or whether I want to expand my Beltan or whether I wanted to do some more of my um, Samhana. We've been having many, many discussions about which one to go for. So in the end, I decided I'm not going to go with any of them. I'm going to do uh, <laughs> a new edition, new Eldar army, and uh, I'm going to go with Ibrisil, having uh, sort of searched the web of different ideas and stuff, and I really, really like their aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, Ibrisil is absolutely classic. Um, I think... I think there's like a lot you could do with that color scheme too, just like in terms of like choosing maybe slightly different shades uh, of, uh, you know, teal and or white and gray and all that kind of stuff. And it's cool that they're like a core craft world, but they don't have like corresponding rules. So you can just sort of do whatever you want with them. Yeah. So I really like the flexibility of that actually. And just, yeah, just be able to choose your own adventure in terms of, you know, uh, uh, where I go with them. Really. I always tend to be locked into my style of play for for what army I've got. So if I've got Samhan, I, I build them a certain way. With Elatok, I build them a certain way. And like having a, uh, a craft world which doesn't have that much of a stereotype is going to be quite freeing for me, actually. So I can sort of just go in my own direction. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, like lore-wise, you could play them as some of the big ones. I mean, you could easily go like Eandon or Bill Tan style. You know, lots of Banshees, Wraith Constructs. Or, you know, you could just do whatever, you know what I mean? Because they're, they're kind of, you know, it's, it's pretty open, which is nice. Yeah. In fact, you, uh, you, you sent me a link the other day uh, when I told you I was going to go with that one to some, some painter on uh, uh, some of his blog. And you're like, yeah, enjoy, enjoy going down that rabbit hole. Oh. I've spent hours going through pages and pages of his stuff. It's so beautiful. Yeah, that's um, Stolly from uh, Tale of Painters. And I think those guys were actually featured in GW a long, long time ago. But uh, anybody interested in checking out an absolutely amazing paint blog, uh, go to Tale of Painters. Stolly's on Instagram, too. Um, I follow him. He follows me. And there's some amazing Drukhari armies there, too. There's like this white Drukhari army that is absolutely bonkers. Um, it's like oh, really? super weathered white Drukhari army, like pure, pure white, but like weathered to hell. It's, it's like the most immaculate, I don't know, execution in terms of pulling off something that's like super gritty, but so pure at the same time. And the guy has like a world eaters army that will just devastate you. Um, go to tell painters. That is a great website. Yeah, because I, I, it had some uh, some Dark Angel stuff on as well, so I was just like, yeah, so I'm going <laughs> to look a little bit more at that because it's, uh, it's quite impressive. Yeah. Yep. Great website, great resource. And, you know, maybe in the future we'll do a, a show on um, sort of Eldar online resources because there's some good ones out there. Yeah, that'd be a great idea, actually. Yeah. So... So other than that, um, I haven't done too much. Haven't been able to get in any games recently, but should be soon. And um, uh, next week, there's going to be more Eldar reveals, and we'll definitely be talking about that. But um, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting that you're talking about trying to choose a a new craft world and maybe getting into like a different play style because that is today's topic is finding your play style as an Eldar player. Um, and that is something that I don't see a lot of discussion around. 
Yeah, so most of the discussions you see online is, you know, which power list do you build and what combos and stuff. But I've uh, I've always what sort of I think it's probably just the RPG element of the game for me is I've, I've always liked to sort of almost reenact and follow the, the the craft world or the sort of the army that I'm using <clears throat> and sort of reenact what they they use and use that as my sort of play style. But then. So when you see which armies I have, I tend to play very fast armies and stuff. So, you know, Samhan, Ravenwing, and those sort of things. So, I've, I've definitely got a style in there that uh, that I use. Yeah, and I think it's kind of like a nebulous concept, and I think it's um, it's one that sort of if nobody's ever sort of asked you, like, hey, what's your play style? Like, like what are you trying to like accomplish? Like when you are playing a game. It might be something that's never even occurred to you because I remember like the first time that the concept was introduced to me. It was like a really, really old episode of the independent characters. I think it was like maybe like a two-part episode. This is like during the days when it was just Carl and Jeff. And um, they were talking about they were talking about like the play styles of each army. And like at that time, this was like fifth edition, I think. Like Crawford Eldar were like a really defensive army because their codex was old as dirt, and um, yeah, the whole thing like revolved around like wraith lords, the Avatar casting fortune, even like wraith guard just as like a super durable unit with like a rerollable three plus save, which was like insanity at the time. Or actually, it wasn't insanity; it was the best that you could do. So yeah, uh, um. And I, and like the whole thing, the whole premise of that episode was how, like, are you choosing the army that is right for you? And um, I think it's important to sort of define your play style, especially as an Eldar player, especially as like a craft world player where you're trying to, you're trying to sort of orchestrate an army of specialists where you don't typically have enough points to do everything. So you, like yeah. you need to focus on like putting together like a group of specialists that all cover each other's bases, and to a certain extent, Harlequins work that way too. But it just comes down to like war gear choices and things like that. And if somebody hasn't like asked you, hey, what's your play style? I, I remember the way that I used to do lists before I found success on the tabletop was I'd always just try to create these like sort of balanced take all comers lists that was sort of just like a hammer and anvil. I try to take all these wraith units maybe some tanks and stuff like that, and then a bunch of fast units to sort of offset them. But it never really worked because like the army was operating at two vastly different speeds and is sort of like yeah. a beginner player. It just wasn't very cohesive. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of went through a similar sort of process myself, actually, uh, because when I first got into playing the game, it was with Eldar, and uh, it was sort of fourth, fifth edition era, and it was, it was hard. It was tough going back then. Yeah. Uh, apart from the indestructible falcons that they had at the time, um, yeah. And yeah, it, it, it took me quite a few games to really get a feel for for how to play. But it wasn't really until uh, I started watching uh, our Lord and Savior uh, Fritz and the Way of Samhan, where I really got an idea about different play styles and watching his tactics and stuff, and learning that the maneuver uh, was a huge thing in in 40k, uh, and sort of emulating sort of what he did. Uh, and then developed my style from there, I guess. Yeah, me too. Uh, that was a huge influence on me at the time as well. Um, that was like one of the very few, like sort of like Eldar exclusive. I think it was the only Eldar exclusive sort of uh, 
content that you could find on the internet. And that was really, really solid. I think a lot of that stuff still stands up today. They could still pull a lot of valuable information out of those videos. Um, and I think like what always happened to me, and I see this happen to like, you know, guys I've been playing 40K with for like the longest time, is that you create lists like that, like the sort of like, looks like it's off the back of your codex type of list where it's like, I have two war walkers, a wraith lord, the avatar, and then a bunch of fast stuff. And like what would always end up happening to me is all the fast stuff would get killed and then you'd have all the slow stuff, couldn't really do anything. Because there wasn't like enough yeah. points sort of invested in either thing. And um, the army didn't really excel at any one thing either. And so the my opponents were able to just be like, well, this is the most immediate threat. I'm going to tear that apart. And then there's nothing that you can really do. And like I have a friend, uh, like naming no names, who, you know, I, I really wish that he would embrace this concept because he has a huge collection um, and... It's like if he would just embrace a play style, it's not even about like net listing or anything like that. It just gives your army purpose. And then all of a sudden, all the stratagems and all that stuff become a lot less abstract. And you know what stratagems benefit your particular play style. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think because it, it focuses your army when you do that as well, doesn't it? Rather than just being uh, a hit potentially an incoherent sort of collection of models on the table when you when you start developing your style and how you how you play with them your your model collection will start resembling that too yeah yeah absolutely and it's not something that you have to like um stick to forever like you know like so for myself i found that like look i the slow stuff i mean i i have a wraith host don't get me wrong um, like I, I love that play style. I've played those kinds of armies, but my, my first love for Eldar, what always stood out to me, what made them so cool was that they were the fastest army in the game. This is like, yeah. especially before Drukhar even came out. Well, I guess they were out, but they were very, very fringe at the time. I mean, that's why I started a Drukhari army too, because they were even faster. And yeah. I, <laughs> like that to me is the sort of defining feature of, of Eldar and so I would always be so disappointed when the fast element of my army would get wiped out and I didn't get to use them. So, <laughs> you know, that's what I wanted to do with my army. I wanted to, I wanted to put together like a, a list that was like, you know, the fastest thing you've ever seen. And, um, yeah. everything revolves around that play style. It's like speed and power. Like that's what I was after. And yeah. as soon as I embraced that concept, the wind started coming and my army is also fluffy as hell. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's really like the best of both worlds. Yeah. So you, you, you say speed and power and I, I say maneuver and firepower and that's kind of, yeah, that's, that's, that's my place to battle, I think as well. And that's kind of when I learned to play with the, uh, the elder really and, and synergizing with that. It was, uh, yeah, that's when I started winning games. Yeah, it's interesting too because it's 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 like a subtle difference between us, like maneuver and power, firepower versus speed and firepower. Because I'm more of a jet bike guy, but you're more of like a warp spider, swooping hawk, like reserves guy. Yeah, yeah, I like to see. Uh, yeah, I like to get the enemy guessing, and I kind of like the subterfuge of actually uh, deploying your army out one way, so they deploy their army another way, and then <clears throat> having the ability to to use. Uh, uh, 
phantasm to then move them across to then put me into a different position so uh, it off foots people then and then getting guys coming in from reserve and then striking them down in in places they don't get even if it's uh the strike itself doesn't do much of a a job but the psychological aspect of them having to plan and use brain power to, to think about where you could potentially come down i i really quite enjoy those mind tricks yeah um sort of putting your opponents through decision fatigue is definitely yeah. like a way to win i mean people are gonna quickly find out that that's how gene stealer cult uh the new gene stealer cult codex works where it's just <laughs> they're picking you apart like one you know you know just it's definitely like a death of a thousand cuts, but just not knowing what to do with your army and making bad decisions, your opponent making bad decisions in terms of deployment and movement and all the other stuff, especially in ninth edition is, you know, you can really lose the game like turn one if yeah. you deploy badly um, and then, you know, you as the Eldar player start outmaneuvering them. It's it's a really fun play style. Yeah, so so talking a little bit further about that as well, you kind of reminded me about uh, uh, having. I didn't like to have a center of gravity. The Schwerpunkt, I think, is um, Clausewitz on War talks about uh, having that that central thing. I like a, a decentralized sort of army. So I have lots of small units that operate independently, but then I bring them together for an, for an effect. So I have. Um, so how they're all spread out so if you take out one unit it doesn't really have that much effect but then when i bring them maneuver them into the right place and then strike at one point of the army they have a, a much more greater effect than if i had uh, sort of spread them out and tried to pick off small units at, at different times yeah it's a that's a really fun play style but of course you know it it all comes down to like unit choices like how are you going to bring that like sort of concept to life um so like here let's uh let's jump ahead of like a little bit in the notes and like what i think we would describe your play style as uh i don't know would you say like it's more built around like eldar shenanigans yeah shenanigans and i i think almost like god the maneuverist approach to warfare that something we studied when i was in the army in terms of um striking matching your strengths against the enemy's weaknesses not fighting the fair fight Mm -hmm. that's kind of what i like to do and yeah so if if, if the list that we've got of our things we come up with is uh eldar shenanigans the deployment thing is probably my style and things like la talk and harlequins play quite nicely into that yeah and i mean just the uh you get like the terrain advantage obviously with like a la talk and with harlequins you have so many stratagems and psychic powers and just means of deployment and i mean just the flip belt i mean the flip belt alone just allows you to just ignore terrain and (laughs) you can gain those positioning advantages so so well um like what like what are your favorite units to actually um you know bring that play style to life like what are your go-to's uh, so things like so in, in, talking in like an Azurani sort of context, uh, I, I think you hit on earlier sort of things like sweeping hawks and uh, and warp spiders, things that can be at one side of the table and then appear on the other side of the table. So I used to really enjoy that running the, the the sweeping hawks. So you, you put them in one area, so kind of to like bait the enemy to to do something about them. You can then remove them from the table and then put them down somewhere else where they're not necessarily expecting it. Yeah. So yeah, sweeping hawks definitely. Um, uh, uh, warp spiders in that sense as well 
and I always like to have some sort of uh, jet bike in there as well, just again for that maneuver and just a little bit more, because uh, you need some sort of resilience. And uh, of all of our army, kind of the faster elements anyway, the the jet bikes are probably some of the more resilient parts of it. Although I have been considering um, of late going more towards the um, the Viper uh, jet bike area because mm-hmm. I normally run <clears throat> my jet bikes with um, shuriken cannons anyway. But if you use a Viper jet bike, you can take two shuriken cannons on that, and it's a higher toughness and better armor save as well. So that's something I'd use in that as well. And they're crazy fast as well. I yeah. mean, they're super crazy fast. Yeah, fast and, and having that, that, that man- again, that maneuver element and a little bit of range of those as well. Yeah, and I mean, it, you can, Vipers are great choices uh, for any of the heavy weapons, like whether they be, you know, bright lances, scatter lasers, shuriken cannons, uh, star cans, like star cannon, shuriken cannon is a super solid combination if you want like a little bit more heavy hitting. Um, uh, Warwalkers too fit into that mold yeah. really, really well. Um, I think like Warwalkers are pretty popular right now too. Yeah, they, they are. Uh, they're lovely models as well. Uh, I think something I've really enjoyed as well is anytime there's some sort of rule, sort of like rule norm breaking mechanic. So think about Tritakari when they had the, uh, the, uh, oh lord, it's the, uh, the boats. I can't remember what they're called now. Ravagers? Oh, oh, Venom. Yeah, Venoms used to have an ability where you'd like minus six from the range of weapons and stuff. And I used to love that sort of thing because yeah. it really, again, it messes with people's uh, the planning that they're doing in their head when they're, when they're doing turns. And the Harlequins used to have a rule that used to make, uh, you could cast the power from the um, uh, from the Shadow Seer that would only allow snapshots from, from units and stuff. Yep. Things like that, I just love those sort of things. And if there's anything like that, like sort of gravitate towards that because, again, it's uh, Eldar shenanigans that are causing the other player to rethink and mess with how they they see in the game. Yeah, and like so, in terms of like uh, Eldar, like a like a trickery based list, like an Eldar shenanigans type list um, or play style, you know, you can go with the sort of maneuvering options um, like Rangers, Striking Scorpions, War Walkers. Warp spiders, swooping hawks, etc., where you know the data sheets alone just sort of they give you deployment options that you know the other units in the army don't have, but you also have like the psychic aspect of it, where um, I mean you just say you're an Ulthway player, for example, like you can make a super tricksy Eldar army that is completely psychic based. You know that you can make a really fluffy. Ulthway uh, army that's all built around like Eldar shenanigans. I mean, you have, I mean, you have the runes of fortune. You got the runes of battle. You got farseers, warlocks. Yeah. You know, you can ally in stuff like the Incarn, Harlequin allies, the Shadow Seer, and then you know, all of a sudden you have, uh, you know, you've got like the Incarn popping up left, right, and center. You have Shadow Seer casting uh, Twilight Pathways. You got Warlocks quickening stuff all over the place. Um, yeah. You know, you have the, uh, well, you have the Runes of Fortune too with with the um, Ghost Walk spells and things like that. And then all of a sudden you're, you've like opened up a whole new avenue towards, you know, crazy trickery in terms of, movement deployment and just you know how you're getting how you're delivering your units into battle and what they're capable of doing yeah so you, you touched one unit there which the, the yunkan oh 
when I saw the initial rules for that, that was just so cool. They're just popping up out of dead units. That just, if if nothing else, messes with an opponent's uh, ability to plan things. That's that's just one of those things that's just really cool. Yeah, and the Incarn is a unless like you have the Avatar or a Solitaire, I think in your detachment, you know, the Incarn is like good to go with almost any army. You can, you know, with the current Unari rules, you can just take it as a sort of blade for hire in almost any list. And I think the Incarn is an amazing, amazing Eldar shenanigan, you know, Eldar trickery type unit. So yeah. if like your initial draw to Eldar was like the shenanigans, like Eldar armies are, you know, everybody has heard the expression Eldar trickery. Like that is a definitive <laughs> yeah. play style that you can really, really embrace. And there's a huge swath of options open for you. Yeah. So I was, I was chatting to my buddy uh, over Christmas, actually. We had a conversation about it. It's like he absolutely hates Eldar. And I, I know he absolutely hates Eldar because of people like me, the way I play them in terms of like the frustration. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah, just frustrating and just being over here and over there and just, uh, you know, causing his units to, to do things that he didn't necessarily want them to do. Yeah, it's cool. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. And I just avoid being a dick, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, all, you know, the Eldar, the, uh, the most arrogant race in the galaxy and Eldar <laughs> players are often accused of being the same as well. So, <laughs> you know, embrace it. yeah, embrace it. So, you know, just, also, to just put, like, one last note on that. So, like, just in terms of, like, faction, like, the like uh, like what faction you're playing. So, I mean, this is just one play style that's open to all the Harlequins, all Atok, uh, Yanari, Ulthway, yeah. you know. So, I mean, those are, like, four absolutely classic choices that you're just focusing on one aspect of the Eldar you know, sort of arsenal of mechanics to build around. So, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I think I use it in my Drakari list as well, actually. So, uh, again, I, I build my lists on uh, smaller units of uh, Venoms going around, uh, but then having things like Flyers, which you can get into different places, and then having uh, Mandrakes. Oh, yeah, Mandrakes. Mandrakes really well into that. So, when I read the new rules for Mandrakes, it's like, holy shit, that is, that's, that's my, that's my unit here. Uh, you know the ability to sort of deep strike in and then being able to move again later on as well and just getting the enemy from sort of like a mid-range and stuff they're just a really cool unit that uh that fits well into that too yeah mandrakes are a, a great choice in that regard and it's like it's it's a little bit unfortunate like i feel like honestly drukari are probably the least tricksy of all the eldar like they have like the least amount of like deployment shenanigans and yeah um which is a little bit sad. I, I think like in fifth edition, when you had stuff like sky serpents where like everything could deep strike and stuff like that, um, there was yeah. a little bit more open to you. Well, I, I used to look at the Hellions as well, where you'd go into a unit and then you'd run away with a character and stuff as well from the, from the unit. That was really cool. Yeah, man. I mean, how cool would that be right now too, where like you could drag a, you could drag a character away from other units. I mean, you could pull them out of like aura buff range and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of cool yeah. stuff you could do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's why I used to enjoy the, um, the Reavers like whizzing across the board and taking slicing attacks as they were going like their 48 inches and stuff. It's like, yeah, that's, that's how that's how i used to enjoy that one yeah i heard um i was listening to paulie and the guys on um 
Real Space Raiders talking about that. And I think they all said, they were like, ah, if there's one game mechanic you could bring back, you know, for Drukari, what would it be? And they're both like Reavers attacking in the movement phase and Hellions dragging characters away. Like those are, those are so just, you know, Phil Kelly wrote those books and, uh, you know, that guy was just a genius in terms of army rules and stuff like that. I really miss that. But um, yeah, that was, that was, that was a really cool mechanic. Really cool. It was. Um, but you know, you were, you were talking like a little bit about it, sort of like isolate and sort of destroy. And that is my approach. Like, <laughs> like, uh, my, my lists are sort of high speed. They're definitely like Blitzkrieg style armies where it's a mechanized approach. It's like all bikes and vehicles. And it's all about like maneuver and destroy that. Like, I don't have like all of the trickery I have is to just keep things moving and to yeah. get things like out of line of sight and to just deny taking damage based on moving my units like into terrain, uh, you know, terrain advantageous situations and just like pouring tons of, you know, either high powered attacks with stuff like shining spears or like just like crazy volume of attack with stuff like wind riders and or you know even like sky weavers so and so my i'm you know just i call it like the eldari blitz that's my <laughs> absolute go-to um where the entire army almost just operates at you know like 16 to 18 inches um yeah. per turn in the Not movement phase that long <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> some men are longer than others um yep. so there's sort of like two aspects to it so like if you are drawn to speed um you know the, the like the classic factions for speed are like sam han soaring spite and red grief and yeah um so with that you've got like the classic you've got your wind riders your shining spears now you've got your shroud runners which are like totally legit options for speed builds, yeah. um, reavers and sky weavers. So the bikes are sort of like obvious, but also included in that are skimmers. Like you can have like a speed kills type uh, Eldar build based all around vehicles because the, yeah. you know especially in ninth edition we're not you're not taking penalties for moving and shooting anymore. You know you could do you've got like your flayed skull, your Yemlock. Um, and then basically all of, you know, mechanized cabal and uh, mechanized Harleys. You can play foot Harleys, and there's some people who prefer that way. But um, yeah, you know, so you've got an amazing, amazing range of vehicles, especially as a craft world player. Where you've got falcons, um, fire prisms, night spinners, uh, hornets, hornets, uh, hornets to me, <laughs> like. <laughs> I, do you have any hornets? Yeah, you know what I do. <laughs> I might have five of them. Um, thinking about getting more. Uh, you know, <laughs> hornets are money in the bank. But then you got you know vipers and you know raiders, venoms, and star weavers, and uh, even the void weaver. You haven't seen much of them lately. Um, maybe that'll change. Uh, so you can either do like one or combine both. And like, that's, that's like what I do. And so you can actually create almost like a hammer and anvil style list with like the bikes being like, like the super aggressive hammer of your list with a sort of, 
uh, suite of tanks in the back sort of backing you up. Oh, yeah, the links too. Um, yeah. which, so, and like the whole, the whole style of this army is just no matter sort of like, no matter like what your opponent does, you will have the speed to sort of like reposition and react if their army is sort of like offensively more potent than yours or if you have the offensive advantage you can just you know be super aggressive and drive that advantage forward um yeah you and, can really maximize that yeah absolutely and that's you know yeah, that to me is so satisfying yeah and I, I think this is, this is probably the sort of list that i sort of used to play uh and i really used to enjoy it as well because you've got some resilience in there with those units as well and you can use the um <clears throat> like the vehicles and stuff and the mech, uh, the mechanized parts of it to, uh, to you, like block routes and stuff as well you can almost use them as almost mobile terrain and things as well to uh, to cause havoc for Germany when they're moving around yeah and like my go-to for that style is the warp hunter um, especially yeah. with flamer mode you know when it's flat three <laughs> shots uh, strength 10 minus 4 d6 damage it doesn't really matter like what you're running into I don't really care about minus one like uh, you know, minus one damage or anything like that, you know? Um, I mean, that is the ultimate uh, area denial unit. And I mean, they're great at clearing the midfield. Um, yeah. So there's like a huge variety just within that. And I mean, think about the character options you've got too. Um, you've got your Farseer Skyrunners, your Warlock Skyrunners, you got your Autark. Um, I mean... With uh, if you're doing like Harlequins, you've got the characters that could be in the Star Weavers. Um, yeah, it's like a huge variety you can embrace. It's not just about yep. any one thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, the, the default go-to for me is the um, Autoc on jet bike. Uh, oh yeah, just yeah, that's just for me. Is, uh, I'm always tricky, sort of looking for how I can maneuver uh, that. Uh, HQ around the, on the table as well. So, but if he, if he can get himself around like that, that that's fantastic as well. Rather than have to rely on a vehicle. Yeah, the Autark Skyrunner for me has always been like the go-to, and I think it's actually a very difficult unit to master um, because I think like in seventh edition, you know, previous to that, the fact that he could join the squad and always sort of like have that protection. But now you're sort of you know, with the especially with the current book, you, you're having to choose like, well, you're gonna have to quicken him, or you're gonna advance and charge him in a Sam Han. It can be difficult to coordinate, but um, once you do get to grips with him, uh, absolutely phenomenal tool. And I think like trying to just highlight that there's an incredible range to explore just within like that one play style in terms of like what characters are you going to choose what's the balance of bikes to vehicles you know there's yeah there's a there's a ton uh to dive into but you know i feel like it starts to funnel your choices and to make a, a cohesive whole which is that's the way to win yeah absolutely and i think uh I don't think there's any other faction out there that has that access to fast units, like that number, like no. just, just incredible amounts of fast units to to, to take there. And just like you think of the variety too, like from the difference between like you know, wind riders, sky weavers, shining spears, and now you got shroud runners, which are like you know completely different from all of them. 
um, you know, yeah. reavers even, you know. And I, th- I think it's one thing as well. It's kind of not really touched on it, but how cool that looks as well. Like to have an entire army that isn't touching the ground for me. I just it's one of the things I try, I try to get. And I, I remember watching a yeah a three part video thing that Phil Kelly and um, Adam Troke and Jez Goodwin did when they did, redid the the Drakari and they. It's so neat that nothing on the you can have everything in like hover vehicles or hovering or flying or in Drakari, and you can really do that in Azurani and Harlequins as well. And that's kind of that's almost where I start my list is like nothing touches the ground. Yeah, me too. Um, it's it's I think it's visually it says like a lot. It's a strong like commitment to like a very impressive visual but it leads to a very cohesive play style and i actually think that one is like pretty forgiving too because once you realize like hey i can complete like i deployed to do this my opponent did something i was not expecting you have like the speed to come to like react like none other where you can almost redeploy like your entire army in the second turn of the game yeah, absolutely. So games can be won and lost in deployment phase, but it's a lot more forgiving if you've got an army that can just be anywhere on the table next turn. Yeah, yeah. So if that's like something that appeals to you, definitely look at that suite of units because it offers like a really diverse play style where you could either be like a melee shooting or balance of both that has great anti-infantry and great anti-tank options. You can build a really balanced list that has a strong like mechanical theme to it in terms of like how it plays, but also you're really embracing like what's so cool and unique about Eldar in terms of speed. But yeah, absolutely. Or you could so go think, the, uh, the complete opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it does sort of the monster mash, uh, Wraith host and thick city, I think, uh, is, is, is the, the key words right now, isn't it? Oh yeah. Um, uh, leaks aside, thick city is for real. Um, uh, thick city is definitely like, you know, it's what's tearing up the meta right now. Um, those homunculus builds and you know like me and brian used to say it all the time is like the covens are they're weirdly durable and they're very very deadly now um so if you're into like sort of the weird sort of like eldar range of monsters which is sort of like an undersold aspect of the range there's a ton to get into there yeah, and, and some beautiful ones as well. See things like wraith guards, wraith lords, knights. Uh, if you look at the Jakari stuff, you got the Talos and the Kronos, and um, the Avatar as well is a, a really cool uh, unit there as well. Although it's not that big at the moment, but uh, uh, yeah, you got an even Yinkaran as well. Yeah, and you know, you have uh, Eldar, uh, the Drukari Beast packs as well. You have stuff like the Clawed Fiend and whatnot, kind of monsterish. Yeah, I've I've always wanted those. I've never got around to getting them. Uh, I must must do that. Yeah, I actually have the um, I use the lions from the high elf range as my counts as uh, claw ah, fiends. Ah, yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah. So this is like a you know I I know this is like a major appeal to a lot of people like the Eldar like monster mash whether it's the classic sort of wraith host which was you know is a, a sort of time honored 
play style or theme to go with, which is sort of, you know, typified by like Eandon, where you build it all around like Wraith constructs. You got, like you were saying, you got your Wraith Guard, Wraith Lords, Wraith Knights, Wraith Seers. Um, and, you know, then you have the Homunculus Covens on, on the other side. And I, Thick City is a lot easier to play right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, I've seen these these sort of lists played really, really effectively as well. And they, I'll say they they look beautiful. Like those wraith guard units, just just stunning. They really are, um, and they're very u- unique style that comes with the the Eldari stuff. But but it's, this this sort of play style is probably the one I just don't get on with as much when I when I go to play it. I've uh, it it just doesn't click with me. Um, I, I really struggle playing these sort of thick city lists. Yeah, they're really, really difficult. Uh, I think trying to like incorporate like an element of that, like when I first got back into the game, like during um, early fifth edition, trying to make that work was was really a struggle. I think in mixed lists, they're actually very difficult to sort of coordinate with the rest of the army because just from a uh, deployment and model placement perspective, they are big huge commitments in terms of what you're doing in the game so you really want to be aware of when you're dropping one of these units you're investing a massive amount of points to a particular place in the battlefield and if you choose wrong especially with a wraith host you've made a big decision and one you might not be able to recover from if it goes badly yeah you're really signposting there aren't you with that sort of list wouldn't again or said earlier that you, you know you win or lose in, in deployment this sort of thing i think if you don't get those big units put down in the right place uh you're kind of committed to a, a certain area of the board yeah because i mean your wraith hosts and you know your talos and all of that stuff they're they're tough they're 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 really tough they're very resilient but they're not as resilient as you might think they're not like a unit of uh deathwing terminators with storm yep. shields for example um they're not a unit of uh of uh death guard terminators you know whichever flavor of those that you want to go with like you have to be like intelligent yeah. with them i mean they are really really tough but they're also really expensive and they can act like an anchor that you might not want if you've got like a really speedy um you know flotilla of eldar vehicles rotating around them it's very elite as well, uh, which with this uh, with the game at the moment, actually, it's you're not getting that many models, and there's lots of AP and there's lots of multi-damage weapons flying around now. So these sort of things do it down pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I th- think we're starting to see like more damage three come into the game too, which bypasses a little bit of the minus one. And there's also things like Crusher Stampede for Tyranids, which will eat these lists alive. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how these things shake up. But I mean, that being said, like, especially from like, um, you know, uh, sort of more of a craft world flavor, there's a huge variety there, um, especially if you start to incorporate things like the avatar or the incarn into a wraith host yeah. with the wraith guard. You got wraith blades, wraith lords, and the wraith lords are super versatile in terms of kidding them out you, you could even drop in like war walkers i would say into a wraith host and feel yeah. very thematic um, yeah definitely it's a uh, it, we, we've got some really good options we really have got some good options uh did, 
especially the, the knight as well. That's a, that, that could be a pretty solid centerpiece as well to, to use. Yeah. So, um, but one of the other play styles, this is definitely more, uh, I know this is something that you've always really embraced, is like uh, going more of like the elite route um, in terms of like Eldar specialists, uh, you know, elite specialists, more of like a Beal Tan approach. Um, why don't you take us through that and, you know, how you play that out on the tabletop? Yeah, so, so, so for me, I, I think we said before about uh, having like Beal Tan where you've got like, I try to take uh, all the spe- all, all the different aspect warriors if I can, and I play similarly with the Harlequins. We're you know, taking uh, lots of the HQs, like three of the Troop Masters, three Shadow Seers, three Death Jesters, and the, and the Solitaire. And for me, it feels like you're really having to orchestrate the battle and having to um, make sure that you are coordinating your specialists to use them in the right place. <clears throat> so things like aspect warriors, uh, because they're so well focused, you've got to make sure that you are throwing them at the right thing for example you're not going to throw your your <clears throat> fire dragons into combat or your uh, you're going to sort of shoot your pistols on your, your banshees at things you've got to make sure that you know, you're sticking the fire dragons into into tanks and you've got to make sure you're, you're sticking your, your your banshees into um into combat units but then again you can't just throw them into any combat units because something will bounce off it so it's it's really knowing your army very well to play this sort of specialist list because you've got to know and have an appreciation of what each of the units can do damage wise and survivability and i just really enjoy playing this list and i think this is almost a higher skill cap list because you really have to have that appreciation of what what things can do likely to do and whether they'll survive that afterwards yeah it's a very like this is the classic craft world play style um where you know, once upon a time, the aspects were incredibly hard hitting, but they're also really expensive. And so it was like, you couldn't just throw Banshees at a unit of Terminators. That was like a death sentence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the Banshees like occupied a very specific role and um, you had to know precisely what you were doing with them. Um, but yeah, so in those sorts of situations, like I would always use my uh, Dire Avengers, like two squad, you know, if it's against Terminators, just two squads, Dire Avengers, just blade storming, and that would probably be enough to delete those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, this is like a playstyle, though, like you were saying, like right in the beginning with Harlequins, you do the same exact thing. I call it sort of Path of Heroes, where you're leaning heavy into the characters. Like, you know, you've got your um, your Death Jesters, your Solitaires, your Shadow Seers, and they are very much like, you know, puppet mastering the entire army. Yeah. Uh, where the army revolves around them, but you could do it with um, Drukari as well. I think you were hinting at it in your Drukari playstyle, where you really like the Blades for Hire. You like the Mandrakes, Incubi, Scourge, things like that. I mean, now you've got stuff like Trueborn and Blood Brides. Yeah, it's yeah, and and it's also it's like the Swiss Army of having lots of different things, but then making sure that you're you're using the right thing for the the right tool for the right job in those sort of situations. And I, I really enjoy that aspect of it. So, yeah, things like the Incubi, you know, keeping them in reserve. And uh, for me, they're they're more of a counter unit. Uh, initially, I used to like run them straight to the board and charge them into things, but you do that, and they're dead. For me, yeah. it's more of holding that sort of thing back because the the threat of Incubi in a boat somewhere. No, and the enemy knowing that they could be halfway across the table uh, and then in their face in a turn, that's that's a huge threat. And I really enjoy uh, doing that too. Yeah, so do I. And I think like one of the 
like one of the things about that is you run them, uh, you, you sort of get them out of their boat after your opponent doesn't really have like the tools to stop them. And that's like when the rampage begins. Um, mm. Like when the, you know they're allowed to sort of like, oh wow, like I don't really have a response for these guys now, and now they're on the loose. Um, you know, it's very Drakari. <laughs> you know, I mean, hell, I mean, this is like Kane as the murderer. You know, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so yeah, but and I think what's really key in this in a specialist list like this is actually using your specialist to take out their specialists so that you can use your other specialists in other areas. So things like. <clears throat> Uh, for this sort of situation anything that's got either long range high firepower or maneuver that's my key things i'm going to get rid of in this because i want to make sure the enemy can't outmaneuver me and they can't out firepower me yeah once i've got their, their fast movers and their high firepower stuff that's when you can start throwing things in like incubi to, to kill off things and it's that sort of coordination that i really enjoy this sort of this because if you just go full hardy and throw your harlequins into units they just get shot to shit then <laughs> the game's over pretty quickly so you've got to use in that situation you know things like uh the star weavers and the sky weavers to flush things out a little bit and get some of their their vehicles and their, their firepower down and then throw them in and then it's, it's a case of then <clears throat> positioning comes into it really key with these sort of things as well because it's not just charging straight in. You've got to make sure you charge and get into the right position because you've got to make sure that when you kill that unit, that then the Harlequins then are in a place where they've either got cover or they can bounce into another unit pretty quickly as well. And that's the sort of thing that you have to plan out with specialist units like this or elite units like this two to three turns ahead. That cerebral aspect I really enjoy. Mm. But if you're playing at all, it's very exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a mentally exhausting uh, play style. And it's like a very reminiscent of more like a medieval warfare approach where you're doing like flanking maneuvers with your cavalry against, you know, the archers, so to speak, where you're using like your combat units to get engaged with your opponent's ranged units and like forcing like really brutal mismatches. Um, yeah. And also just in terms of like bringing one of these lists to life is balancing troops versus transports and things like that too. And so where do you like, can you find like a workaround, which is like where you get into your warp spiders and your swooping hawks um, and your shining spears and stuff like that, who bring their transports with them. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing you, you can really get sucked into spending lots of money on transports, especially as you are because they're, they're not cheap um no. so you know you you still need your your infantiers to, to go out there and capture objectives and <clears throat> perform actions and stuff so it's really important to get that balance right so that's that's quite an art actually that's quite an art to do that yeah uh, so that's why I, I i use those things like you just said they're like um uh sweeping hawks and and uh, warp spiders to, to have that maneuver element without actually needing the dedicated transport for it. Yeah, it's it is challenging. It's de in my opinion, this is the most challenging style because you also have to really commit. You usually don't have a lot of redundancy, and you might be able to like wipe out like your choice target. But what's going to happen afterwards? Is that specialist unit going to get taken out as soon as they? Once you start trading, you know what I mean? Yeah, like what happens after you're trading one unit yeah. for another and in turn you're going to lose that unit that you just committed do you need that unit to you know go another round um if you know if so do you have a backup for it 
and just balancing sort of like redundancy versus um you know just maintaining points efficiency it's like an art in and of itself this is probably the most demanding i think in terms of list building yeah so so redundancy is a key thing there as well actually because especially something like if you're going aspect warriors like they're very specialist aren't they so you need to make sure that you do have some degree of cover so things like uh fire dragons where they're anti-vehicle so I'd look at investing in, because they've got short range though, I'd look at investing in a transport for them. The backup for them is, or the alternative for them, is that uh, things like Dark Reapers, because the Dark Reapers can perform sort of an anti-vehicle thing, not quite as effectively, but if you if you lose those fire dragons, then you've still got something that can deal with, uh, with them as well. And I, and I think Dark Reapers are actually quite good in the sense that they're, they're good against they're reasonable against vehicles they're not fire dragon good against vehicles they're reasonable against vehicles but they're also good against infantry as well so they're kind of a quite a flexible unit in that sense but where they lack is things like the maneuverability of that so they're stuck where they are so you've got to make sure you put them in the right place to start with yeah then i mean you can actually you know you can start to uh find like unique choices in like other codexes too or sort of offset that like well let me get a unit of skyweavers in here as backup to the fire dragons they operate like in a different way you know what i mean but yeah, offer absolutely. the same amount of tools yeah uh, and, and things like well now they've got the, uh, <clears throat> the autark back by the looks of it with the uh, uh with the fire dragon gun so uh that's another redundancy there you know having that there that can pops and shots off as well which is uh, has been missed for a while too yeah and if he has a warp generator he can uh, maybe teleport in to support the fire dragons and then go assault something you know what i mean you know you have like a nearby yeah. support unit to go with the autark into combat striking scorpions you know for example yeah yeah and, that, and you've touched on a really important point with this sort of unit as well so when you're sending specialists in you've got to make sure that you've got redundancy and that they've got support too so when these guys are going in like the fire dragons the best way to take a fire dragons is either to shoot them or charge them but if you've got another unit that's close by that can provide protection so things like having um striking scorpions already in position or maybe the having banshees that are in a vehicle but then ready to assault if uh if the fire dragons get assaulted so uh having that sort of threat there will just potentially keep the enemy away too yeah and i think this uh this definitely favors like a more of like a collector's approach too so um maybe you have been an eldar player for a while and like you want to try like a different play style um you're looking for like an excuse maybe to buy like howling banshees or try out maybe an aspect like you've never tried out before um this is like an approach that will you know it's it suits the collector you know what I mean? Who has like a variety of units to use. But I would definitely say this is sort of like, this is like the final path I would walk down. It's like an Eldar <laughs> player. Um, it's, it's, it's very challenging because you have to think like you, when, when you're putting your list together, you're actually thinking the game out like multiple turns in advance. Yeah. You're thinking more of like even just turns than even points in a way. Yeah, yeah, you you really are. You, you've really got to pluck those those turns out, and you know, if if you misstep, then you've got to have like a plan to to how you're going to deal with that. And it really makes you potentially think on the fly when things don't go wrong, and uh, that really cuts. Uh, that's a really defining moment then for an LR player to be able to pick it up after this plan goes to pieces. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's always the challenge because the Eldar are so fragile. Um, and I think like another thing to sort of get into the mindset of with this sort of play style is that even if a unit is sort of like overcosted, if it does the job that you need it to do, it's worth it. Um, and this is something that like, you know, I was always able to sort of like throw people off with it. Like, I can't believe you're including that. I'm like, well, it does the job that I need it to do. There's nothing else that really does this. It's like the Warp Hunter, for example, is like, yeah, it has like, it is pretty versatile in that it can shoot out of line of sight and it has like a flamer mode, but its firepower is very specialized. You know, it's for removing like either small elite units or just walloping big units. Um, and I need that tool. Like that's what my army lacks. That's what it gives me. So don't yeah. like, if you get into this play style, be prepared to make some like off meta choices because only you will know what your list lacks or what tool you really need in that arsenal. Yeah. And I, and I think if you do get into this sort of list as well, it's it's one of those ones that may frustrate you initially, but once you play it again and again and again, you, you get good. And uh, we're talking the other day, isn't it? I think it's better to have a, a good list played well than a great list played poorly. And I think this is one of those ones where these are probably not going to be the strongest of lists on paper, but if you learn to play these well, then you've got all the tools there that you need to take on the enemy and win games quite yeah. consistently. I mean, isn't this Sean Naden? I would say like a combination of this and, uh, you know, punching smoke slash, you know, Eldar shenanigans. Like, so there's a combination of those two things. I mean, that's been Sean Naden's like ticket to success. And that all comes from reps, you know, just getting in those reps with this army. I mean... I don't know, for two years he's playing with the Avatar of Cain, for God's sakes, and like winning yeah. huge tournaments. So um, it's definitely a place to all that can work, but it's one you got to be dedicated, you know, to get working. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a guy, uh, Dave Viago, who used to be in Winnipeg, for us to play there. And that, that guy had his, I would say, is very much an uh, elite specialist's uh, sort of Eldar army. And you'd look at it and go, oh, that's not particularly powerful, but that guy knew what his army did and he yeah. played it so much that when he got to the table, although you looked at it and went, ah, oh, this should be all right, that guy knew how to play that list and he put his things in the right place and just used to own people. I think it's like, I'm not sure if you ever played squash, like you can see lots of uh, unfit-looking people playing squash because actually if you're a master at squash, you uh, you hit the ball around the court and you make the other person run and you can pretty much stay in the same place and I think that's kind of what an elite specialist army is is that you, know, you you outplay the the inexperienced people with this one yeah just coming at you from angles um yeah but i think we we started to touch on it um like in terms of like you know for that play style you have to have uh you know the larger collection the, the broader collection suits that play style a little bit better than somebody who's more like specialist. If like, you know, for, for myself, for example, like I have a huge army, but it's very sort of just like, you know, mechanized uh, Eldar Blitzkrieg, like bikes and vehicles and stuff like that. I don't have a whole swath of aspect warriors that, you know, other players might have. Um, but I think like a really, really, really important concept in all of this is investing the right amount of points to make this list work you can't just like for example put like two units of wind riders and have like 
a wave serpent and be like, yeah, I'm going Sam Han. Like, no, that's, (laughs) that's, that's not, you know, or like you're playing like an elite, you want to do this like elite specialist type Eldar build. And, you know, you're taking like, you know, three units of 20 guardians. You have to invest the points, you know, to make that thing come to life. Like army composition, forget, you know, meta chasing net lists or whatever. Uh, Army composition is super important. Yeah, uh, you, you touched another point. My, my playstyle as well. I, I can't do big units. I just can't bring myself to do it. So I'm, I'm very much an MSU kind of guy. Yeah. Um, small, small five to six man units is kind of, kind of where I roll. Uh, I used to enjoy running lots of three man jet bike squads and just having them darting all over the place. But you can't, you can't really do that so much these days, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, um, I think like. Uh, I think that might be like one of the reasons we were like, ah, I can't really get into like the Wraith host type thing because those those lists, especially with like a Wraith host, maybe not so much with like um, a Coven's type build, uh, you know, those huge blocks of Wraith blades where you have all the psychic powers sort of like invested into them is like something that you have to sort of get on board with to make that play style work. But um yeah, so just like to give like an example, like I just sort of embracing my own play style, which is like this Blitzkrieg style list. So for example, every single list, it doesn't matter what I'm running, unless I'm running like something that is, you know, not, you know, that is differing from like my typical play style. If I want to run my Wraith host or something like this, but you know, my Eldari Blitzkrieg starts with these units always. Autark Skyrunner, Farseer Skyrunner, at least one Warlock Skyrunner, uh, three units of Wind Riders, at least one unit of Shining Spears, and my Hornets. Like, yeah. Like, because I'll see people be like, oh, yeah, like I'm playing, you know, like Black Legion, cut off the head of the snake, blah, blah, blah. They take like one unit of 10 Terminators and they think they've done the thing. Like, it's, it's yeah. not, it's not how it works. Like, to really, really capture that style you need to be able to lose units in your list and still keep that play style going you know yeah yes yeah, so go back to the original <clears throat> fritz thing earlier that's that's kind of thing he used to do is just let people kill different units but he had his his, his mind on the, the end game which was capturing the objectives at the end and then he'd play all these things he'd be moving the guys around but all he was really doing was keeping these guys alive to then capture the objectives at the end so mm-hmm. yeah just having that that start on the end game with that uh, I think my sort of starting lists are actually very similar to yours, but uh, I think you you lead more towards uh, showing spears and hornets. And I kind of I like flyers. I, I don't really have too many lists where I don't have a couple of flyers in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's, it's it's that maneuver and that ability to to get them up the table and just be anywhere and just cause havoc somewhere that the enemy won't necessarily expect them to be. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, putting like lances and pulse lasers and all that kind of stuff like right where it needs to be. You know, the flyers, especially from a craft world perspective, are pretty unique in that way and that they can get those high quality shots like at almost like any angle. If you need to go all the way into your opponent's deployment zone, you know, the far corner, you know, do the Crimson Hunter twist and then like put shots where you yeah. need them to. You know, Crimson Hunter is great for doing that. Um I used to find it really useful for like zooming up the table because you could offer them put them like right next to a character and kill a character from behind. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Which then really, especially in like uh, the current sort of 
40k universe that we're playing at the minute where it's lots of bubble hammer in terms of those auras and stuff and if you can if you can get an early strike on a character that uh, somebody's built their army list around then that's always quite rewarding yeah definitely especially if you're you sort of take out maybe a softer um sort of screening unit around that character that's sort of like uh maybe more towards your opponent's backfield and then you maneuver the flyer into that position and you know, take out that character it was great fun um but i think like the key in terms of like sort of like points balance is uh you just making sure that like you're investing your points into units that all cohesively do that that operate at sort of like the same speed so if you're making like a wraith host like even if you're taking like sort of like complementary units or things like that making sure that everything can sort of like cohesively operate together so like in that sort of detachment or that suite of units i listed like nothing moves slower than 16 inches so you know the entire army is able to react and reposition um similarly like if you're making like a wraith host you know t6 is your baseline toughness for almost everything you know you should look at those sort of core attributes like what what defines my play style from a data sheet attribute sort of perspective is like whether it be toughness speed um or quality of firepower even you know what i mean if you're going more of like a specialist route are these are the damage dealers i need them to be yeah i i think it's pretty one more to thing to think about with this as well because <clears throat> what we're talking about at the moment on the whole is how you destroy the enemy lots of the 40k missions at the moment about holding objectives mm-hmm. so i think for the listeners really we're talking mainly about how we're going to engage the enemy things like rangers and uh, guardians and uh, small units like get back to again warp spiders and shang spear uh, uh sweeping hawks to grab objectives and perform actions as well are really important while you're using this sort of your main package then to, to go in and engage the enemy and distract them yeah definitely um you, you the objective game is absolutely huge it's it's the way that you win or lose games in 40k right now um i also think though especially for craft world eldar um you're always going to be sort of at a disadvantage in terms of like the primaries in terms of like scoring and stuff like that so keeping an eye towards like look if i'm not going to score the primaries neither are you like that's that's like my (laughs) approach where i'm like you're not going to take those objectives because your units are going to be dead (laughs) so um that is like also like a really valid approach too um you know, with like my Wraith host, it's sort of the opposite. I feel comfortable, you know, with the primaries and things like that. But for any of the more like faster, like offensive type builds, um, look to use those units to deny the primaries if you can't score them yourself. Yeah, yeah, that, that, is, that is totally fantastic. <laughs> I've used that many times. Like, you're not going to engage on primary on this one. Sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think you were sort of starting to touch on it, actually, like supporting these very defined play styles uh, is very is very important. Um, and there's like, you know, I've sort of, you know, broken it down. It's like you can go down sort of like two paths. Um, you can either sort of double down, which you could either like, you know, spam out the unit choices that you're building around or take like you know like for my eldari blitz like it's mainly jet bike based but you know i double down and that i get all the fastest vehicles in there 
Or you yep. could go down the opposite route, which is sort of like complementary pieces, which is sort of slightly different units that operate, you know, in the same way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's the, the, two, the two main things there, isn't it, that you can do. Um, I think I tend to go more down the complementary pieces with a, a slight bit of doubling down. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of how I roll. How, how about yourself? Um, I think... I think I, I probably go down more of like the complementary route, like um, where like I take the vehicles, which are, are complementary, but they, they have like a different set of tools. Like doubling down to me is more like far seers, warlocks, shadow seers, even like troop masters and stuff like that, like really enhancing what you have. So you can start to t chuck like a ton of characters to make what yeah. you have like extremely, extremely elite, or you spam, which I don't really like to do. Um, yeah. So I'm more of like a complementary pieces guy where I can sort of like flex in various pieces. Like, let's just say, you know, I remember in 7th edition, I started to encounter like more infantry heavy builds. I started to bring in like stuff like Swooping Hawks and whatnot when I was playing against Tau a lot. You know, I was like, I don't yeah. really want more jet bikes. Um, I think part of the issue I was running into there was that was running out of pieces of terrain to hide them. So I said, like, why yes. don't I bring in something that doesn't even need terrain because I could just drop them in whenever I'm ready, which was like Swooping Hawks and your Warp Spiders and things like that. They're complementary pieces that offer, like, a different set of tools, a different delivery system. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and I think that complementary pieces are hugely important for the specialist-type builds. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, it's, I find it quite uh, important when I am building my list, actually, to think about where the double-down things are. So, we, you know, things like the Troop Masters, which can help you get the re-rolls, or the, the Shadow Seers, which can double down on your defensive elements as well. So, <clears throat> But you really then have to focus those troops uh, at the right points in the game as well. So you don't want to commit the, the Troop Master until you really need them to have that massive effect on the, the troop unit that you that you need to buff at the time yeah and i think the sort of doubling down approach um can make you somewhat predictable like i see people start to like spam 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 like i'm going with this theme hard or maybe you're just trying to win too hard um i think it <laughs> makes you predictable um and i know like i remember like in seventh edition like everybody was like geared up to like kill eldar and they're expecting just like you know, endless jet bikes and warp spiders and things like that. And I started playing things like Dark Reapers, um, and it really threw people for a loop. Um, where I was playing vehicles and, you know, things like that. Um, if you start to sort of like embrace those complementary units that, that are like, they bring us, they operate, they maintain like that cohesive play style that you have, but they bring a different set of tools and maybe like a different delivery system. It keeps you like flexible and somewhat unpredictable, which is very Eldar too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think going back to what you said earlier, it's about not signposting too much about how your army is going to do its thing, but then have those key points that you can then drop in there to to get that buff, like you know, the Farseers and Guide and Dooms, the classic one, really of uh, having that, the only things I have the fear when I double down on that sort of situation is sometimes it doesn't happen, and then you end yeah. up in a situation where you've gone, okay, my fast here, guide doom to get this unit to do what it wants to do, and then you fail <laughs> to yeah. get those things off. 
and then you're in a situation where like the battle's going to turn now because I'm going I've not done what I've gotten to, wanted to do and I'm probably going to get hit quite hard at this point. Yeah, I remember I went through a stretch where I like even though farseers are great, they've always been great. Like I just even stopped using them. Like I built my list to sort of compensate for like not even having those psychic powers going off. Um and like I went, you know, I remember in seventh edition I went like the path of like the double autark, you know, going for like reserve buffs and stuff like that. And yeah. I actually think that's kind of like a valid play style now. Like you could just get rid of the psychic element altogether because there's a lot of armies that are actually can counter those psychic powers like pretty damn hard. Stuff like Templars, yeah. Sisters. Um, so you got to be careful. You got to be careful with all of that, but. I think going the complementary route is probably like the the best way to go as like an Eldar player because if especially with Craftworld Eldar, um, if you just sort of spam one type of unit, all your opponent needs to do is get a set of tools to counter that one type of unit, and you're done. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, all they need is like one tool to take out like basically every unit type in your in your list. Um, and then it turns into a game of like, oh, well, that, did I go first or second? Did I take out that that one unit that's like a threat to me? Um, and I think if you go down the route of like complementary pieces, uh, you'll be very unpredictable um, against any, you know, it's like if, if they need to take a variety of tools to sort of take out each of your units, um, you've already started to win. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I used to, I used to go quite heavily into into farseers just for those buffing things because it was great. But I just found every now and again it just wouldn't go through, and uh, I just got frustrated with it to be honest. So I only really keep a um, and and the thing with the farseer stuff is the enemy gets a vote as well because you know they could do deny the witch too. So <clears throat> I've gone more towards just having one uh, sort of psyker in my list, mainly so that I can deny the other person. And that's the, the only reason I'd normally take a, a Psycho in my list these days. Yeah, I remember in 8th edition, I like I would always um, actually thought that the end in Warlord trait was actually kind of helpful. Because I would take like, because um, he could get an extra deny, or if he didn't have the ability to deny, he could deny. Like I think that was like Prince Uriel had to choose that Warlord yeah. trait. It was actually kind of useful. Um, so yeah, like I think in that example of the units that I take, I only I only take one warlock and one farseer. Um, if they don't get to do their thing, it's just like I'm getting that to just put them over the top. The list is not revolving around those powers. It's just like I yeah. I will still have the weight of dice, the quality of firepower to do the jobs that I need done, and the farseer is there to just help guarantee. A unit gets deleted at the right moment but it's not like if i don't have jinx and doom i can't win and i've seen yeah. eldar lists like that in the past and um i think with eldar like remaining flexible is the uh is really the key to like long-term success yeah yeah i, I really agree with that um i think actually playing drakari taught me a lot about the game because because uh, I started off with Eldar and I used, used lots of Farseers and stuff, but then going to Drakari where the whole army doesn't have them. Uh, so then having to, to learn then to, to, to like wean myself off <laughs> having, having psychic powers in my army. And it also taught me about the use of speed. And mm -hmm. the great thing that was the nice thing about speed 
is that the enemy doesn't get a vote in that. They don't get armor saves against my speed. They don't get uh, to deny my speed. Although there are some things out there can reduce it these days. But um, on the whole, that, that maneuver element that we talked about before, um, it's just a great aspect that they can't interact with. So, yeah, that's why probably got a bit of a tangent there. But <laughs> speed, all speed, speed, speed. No, no, I'm right there with you. I'd rather go with that um, because I, I think you're right. Uh, the movement phase is something you pretty much get to do like uninterrupted, especially like in the early goings and um, you know outmaneuvering your opponent. That is, my opinion, the greatest strength that the Eldar offer um, is just outmaneuvering your opponent. So even when your codex is underpowered, there the speed is always there. Um, yeah. So you know you might offensively be limited at the moment but you know you at least have the ability to orchestrate that firepower and get it into the position that or the offense that you have you know whatever quality it is you put it at least into the right position and at least you're making the right tactical choices so yeah. it's always used to consider the first turn as the the maneuver turn where i wouldn't necessarily think about engaging the enemy too much unless there's a threat that i really had to deal with the turn, turn one would always be the one where I got myself into position to then strike on turn two. Oh yeah, I mean it's like I would even like forego shooting with like really really important units if it meant that, you know, if I had to advance them or whatever, I'd be like, I don't care. Like they'll be there next turn, and because I got them like out of line of sight, you know, for mm. example, you put them behind like line of sight blocking terrain in a position to really pounce on that next turn. But um, again, these are like examples of embracing like a play style and you're not thinking we're not talking about dice at this point these are like totally dice independent choices that yeah. that we're making and it's that's when you know you're in a good groove where you've made like a sound choice where you're thinking about the game in terms of like turns movement and um maneuvering and all that kind of stuff um, because that's where you really have total control as a player because there's no dice roll that's going to you know stop you from making those choices you know on the table yeah yeah uh yeah it'd be interesting to see what uh what the listeners do as well it'd be great for them to, to comment on the facebook page about what sort of uh uh play styles that they use do they use similar ones to us do they buy us in different ways and do they have anything else that they can think of really yeah absolutely so if you guys um if you guys go on to facebook and look up infinity circuit um there's a group there that you you guys can join it's been pretty active already which has been pretty wild to see um yeah it has actually yeah so if you guys want to go in there and um can continue the discussion we'll have uh, links in the episode description and tell us like you know tell us about like your own eldar journey and maybe how like how you started playing and what your play style is like evolved into or maybe if you are still grasping you know for a play style hopefully this episode will help steer you in a direction give you an idea of like some sort of like eldar archetypes that you can lean into and you know the corresponding unit choices and you know what sort of factions those represent you know within the war and uh, we can continue the discussion over there. Yeah, it's always great to listen to other people's views as well, because I, I think we're very much attuned and uh, have very similar approaches to things. But having somebody who has a different view entirely, you can you can learn from people. So that'd be great for people to share. Yeah, definitely. And we should have uh, we, we'll have some interesting guests on uh, in the near future. We can sort of prick the, pick their brains about their particular play styles and uh, what works for them. So. 
but um man so there's gonna be another there's gonna be another preview next week and we will uh we'll have to see what they're gonna unveil hopefully it's the avatar of came i mean we all saw it in that preview trailer <laughs> and uh you know if that's what that ends up being i couldn't be more excited and uh you know hey i've got a wraith i've got a, a monster mash you know there's a hidden monster masher hidden in my eldar soul that's just looking to come out so um we'll be back really soon to talk about uh whatever new developments um are unveiled for uh Craftworld eldar and um can't wait exciting times ahead oh man what a, what a, again we started the show but what a time to be alive i'm i'm praying to isha for uh for some spiders but we'll see what happens yeah we'll just have to wait and see what happens there sure is a lot of new stuff that they could unveil but um it's it's very exciting hopefully we'll get uh we'll get our hands on all that stuff very very soon great we'll uh, see see you all next time all right Thank you.